Philippians chapter 1. And uh, as you're turning there, I just, uh, I'm going to take just a moment uh, to, 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 to just express a little bit of my heart to you. Um, I have the privilege and the honor of um, being in a different church nearly every week. And I, I really don't say this lightly, so I hope that you'll hear my heart and see my heart in this. I, I really want you to understand how much that I sense that your church may be in an incredible moment, a holy moment per se. I just believe just both times I've been with you that, that God wants to do something here that you can't even fathom right now. And I believe that God wants, I, I don't believe God wants to wait for you to get a pastor. I want you to know that. In fact, I think that it displays the glory of God in a greater way when he works in a church in an interim time. I just don't want you to miss what God is doing among you and to celebrate what God is doing among you. Because I believe that as you worship and as you focus on that great name, the name of Jesus, that God is going to pour out His Spirit and His blessing on you. I'm telling you, church, I can't say that everywhere I go. But I believe the Lord wants me to say that to you today. Last week, you uh, had an all-in kind of a Sunday. It was a Sunday in which you were challenged by leadership in your church to say, over the next several months in our interim time, we're going to be all in. We're going to make sacrifices. We're going to make commitments. We're going to, to take the step to be all in. The Apostle Paul certainly knew what it meant to be all in. And when he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when he says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors. Listen to his all in statement. Far more imprisonments with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with Rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, uh, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship. Through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure and apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me for my anxiety for all of the churches. Who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. If there was ever a man for us to learn from today about being all in, it is the Apostle Paul. And as you committed some things last week, or many of you committed some things last week about being all in, I want us to kind of understand what all in means. Yes, there were things that you said specifically, I'm all in in these areas, but I want you to understand that the, the commitment to being all in, in all the various ways it plays out in your life, is really about this, this umbrella vision of being all in, and simply this, that my life, through the things my church is asking me to do is to be all in 
specifically for the advancement of the gospel. And God wants to use you, but I'm telling you, it's in these moments, these holy moments of time in which a group of, of believers collectively say, we're not retreating, we're not backing up, we're all in that you might hear the voice of the enemy. My wife and I have been married 17 years. I love that woman, man. She is, she is incredible. And um, uh, when we were dating, we were in college in East Texas at East Texas Baptist University, and uh, we were there in college, and I knew that I wanted to make her my wife, so I, I worked four jobs in college. I kid you not. I was a youth minister. On Saturdays, I sold used cars. How's that for eclectic? <laughs> I was an RA, which means I, I, I ran a dorm. And then uh, at, at nighttime, I worked for a funeral home and I went and picked up dead bodies. I said, why would you do that? Because I love this woman and I wanted to marry her. And so I worked all these jobs and, and, and I finally saved up enough money to go buy the ring. And so I went and I bought the ring. And, and it's a little different day back then. When I say back then, I'm getting to the age now where I can actually say back then and it means something. Well, it was, it was an, back then, guys didn't take the girls to pick out the ring. There was a certain element of surprise back then. And so I went and I picked out the ring, and, and I was so excited. I went and showed it to all of our friends, and, and I put it in a safety deposit box at the bank, and, and, and I began writing how I was going to ask her to marry me. And, and I just, for, for a few weeks, I just would write, and I would scratch it out, write and scratch it out, and, and I would practice it in front of the mirror like a thousand times a day because I wanted that moment to be special. It was spring break. On Thursday of spring break was her birthday. Her parents live in San Antonio. In San Antonio, there's a restaurant that goes way up tall, and, and it spins around slowly as you're eating, so you see the view of the city. And I had, res, uh, had reservations for us to go to dinner on Thursday night, and there, with the backdrop of her city, I was going to get down on one knee, and I was going to ask her to marry me, and I was going to do that in front of her city, and it was going to be awesome. And on our way down to San Antonio, I said, I said, um, baby, I, I, I cannot wait till Thursday. It's your birthday. And I cannot wait until Thursday because I've got, I, I'm going to give you the best gift you could ever have. I know some of you are thinking about the ring, ladies. I was talking about me, all right? So <laughs> she make sure we got on the right page. And so, and, and so she, she said, Nathan, um, we, we can't go out on Thursday night. She said, I promised the people I babysit for that we would come back on Wednesday so I could babysit on Thursday. You ever watch that, that, that show, Different Strokes? What you talking about, Willis? I mean, I was like, <laughs> what in the world are you talking about? I don't know if we have any single ladies in the house this morning, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you some life advice. You're, you're, you're going to really appreciate this, all right? If, if you're listening, say amen. amen. All the single ladies said Amen. Men have no plan B. <laughs> You're welcome. I didn't know what to do. She looked at me and she said, we're not going to go out on Thursday night. I had been planning this for months. Folks, I picked up dead bodies for this moment. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, fine, I'm not giving you your gift. Well, I later found out she thought I was going to give her a lamp. Who? What lame college boyfriend gives his girlfriend a lamp for her birthday, right? 
I said, I'm not going to give it to you. She said, I'll just give it to me now. I said, I am not giving it to you now. She said, no, just give it to me now. And for, for about 10 minutes, we argued. Now, ladies, let me give you a second piece of advice. <laughs> there is a line in a man's mind. Once you push him over that mind, there is a point of no return. Men, can I get an Amen. After 10 minutes of just give it to me, it's just a gift, it's not a big deal. I said, fine. We were going down Highway 31 in East Texas. I found the nearest church I could find. I pulled into the parking lot of Faith Baptist Church in Brownsboro, Texas, and, and, and the parking lot wasn't even paved. It was rocks, and I got out, and, and, and I went back to the back of her Mustang, and I, I opened her uh, trunk, and I got in my bag to get that lamp, I, I mean ring, and I, I, I get out, and I walk over to her, and I, I, all that I had rehearsed for months just disappeared in my mind in a moment. And I open her car door, and I get out, and I open that ring, and I look at her and she says, oh, don't do this here. <laughs> you just can't win. <laughs> but the funny thing is, some of you spent thousands of dollars on an extravagant plan to ask the question. I did it on the side of the road and I'm just as married as you are today, all right? Hey, let me say something to you this morning. Let me say something to you this morning. There are many of you that you wrote down on a piece, of call, a piece of paper last week that you were all in. There are many of you that are still saying, God, I want to be all in, but I don't really know what that means. God, I want you to use me to advance the gospel, but I don't really know what that means. And God, you know the brokenness of my life, and you know that I'm broken, and, 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 and God, I just don't feel like you could use me that way. And here's what the enemy is saying to you. He's saying, hey, you don't need to make that commitment right now. Oh, you check the box, you signed your name, but you don't need to make that commitment because you're not worthy. And I want you to say, I want you to understand right now that that which the enemy says, the scripture says he is a liar. He cannot speak truth that when he speaks, he speaks lies. He is the father of lies according to John 6, I want you to understand that there is a God who relentlessly uh, pursues you and wants you to use you in a way that you cannot begin to understand. And as you say, I'm all in, as you say, I'm laying it all on the table, as you say, God, I'm not retreating, I'm pressing forward. Here's what I want you to know. The enemy's going to say, don't do this here. But God's saying, why not here? Why not now? Why not you? In the book of Philippians, we see this incredible story of the Apostle Paul uh, writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. And today I want us to see some things very quickly together about what does it look like to be committed to the gospel's advance in my life? What does it look like to be committed to the gospel's advance in your church in this season? We find ourselves, as Paul is writing this, church, this letter to the church at Philippi, he's in prison uh, and uh, he is writing from the depths of his despair in prison. And here's what he says, beginning in verse 12, Paul says this. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, I love this, has really served to advance the gospel. Right off the bat, we see Paul saying, this is what my life is about. 
This is what my all in is. Everything I am, everything I do, everything I go through is to serve as a platform to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am only here temporarily, but yet the gospel lives on. And so everything I am about is to advance the gospel. Paul is saying to us from the very beginning that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how hard life is, no matter what obstacles you face, God is working these things in your life to advance the gospel. And Paul is saying at the bat, church, connection point, what Paul is saying is, if he was speaking to you, Paul is saying, it doesn't matter where I am or what I'm doing, I am here to advance the gospel. My all in is to advance the gospel with my life. And Paul is saying this, listen to what he says. I want you to know what's really happened is really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. The first thing I want us to understand today about what does it look like in my life to be, for my commitment to serve as a gospel's advancement is simply this. The gospel's advancement is often greatest in the struggles of my commitment. Now listen to what Paul didn't say. Paul did not say, my life is incredible. I have all I've ever wanted. I'm comfortable. Look at me. Things are going really well. I'm on the mountaintop. Hey, listen to me. Paul says, I'm in prison. I've been beaten in Corinthians. He says, I've had all of these obstacles, all of these barriers to overcome. In Philippians, he says, even in my imprisonment, the gospel is advancing. Folks, let me tell you something. Many of us, listen, I want you to know we all struggle with things. I won't go into it right now, maybe for another time, but I went through an incredibly dark season in my own heart, in my own spirit, uh, after some, uh, some circumstances in my life. And I want you to understand, it is in the, the, the valleys of life that God's voice echoes the loudest. And all across this room, there are people that you're going through things and you say, God can't use my life right now because blank. God can't use me because I'm struggling with this. God can't use me because I'm addicted to this. God can't use me because my past has this. God can't use me because I have this going on in my life. Listen to me. No, wrong, my friends. That is the very reason God can use you. Because the advancement of gospel, of the gospel, is based upon the grace of Jesus Christ. And the grace of Christ plays itself out in the messiness and the brokenness of our life. Here's what Paul says, and my imprisonment is for Christ that I want you to understand what's happened to me is actually advancing the gospel. I just wonder how many in this room today, how many on the Lee Summit campus, I just wonder how many of you are not positioning your life to be used to the maximum abilities that God can use you simply because you're making excuses of why the gospel can't advance in your life instead of making the commitment that even in the struggles that you're going to position your life for God to use you in a maximum way. You see, Paul says this, hey, I'm, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm in prison, but I want you to know what's really happened to me is serve to advance the gospel. He goes on to say, in fact, not only is it advancing the gospel, but the whole imperial guard is finding out. 
And he says, he doesn't even stop there. He says, listen, it's not that just the imperial guard is hearing the gospel because of my imprisonment, but he says it's also playing itself out that it's making others emboldened to share the gospel. Do you realize that positioning your life for God to advance the gospel in you, even in the midst of whatever season you're going through, other people are watching and listening, and God is working in your circumstances in ways you cannot imagine. In fact, I'll say it this way. A friend of mine was telling me this. He said, Nathan, you know, when we read this passage and we think about Paul being in prison, we think about Paul being chained to a prisoner. And that every six to eight hours, there would be this prisoner that would come in, and Paul would be chained to this prisoner, and that's how he would share the gospel. He said, but you know, that is a very temporary mindset. He said, an eternal perspective doesn't say Paul was chained to the prisoner. I mean, Paul was chained to the guard. An eternal perspective says, no, 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 no. The guard was chained to Paul. And every morning when that guard got up and his wife said, honey, what's your day look like? Oh, sweetheart, I got to go be chained to this guy that tells me I need Jesus, that tells me I need grace, that tells me I need forgiveness. And every single uh, shift of those six or eight hours, a new person came, and it wasn't that Paul was chained to them. No, my friends, they were chained to Paul for the advancement of the gospel. Now, how does that apply to us? Whatever you're going through, you don't look at it and go, man, I don't know why God's bringing me through this. I'm chained to this. No, my friends, no, listen to me. There is a sovereign God that is working those circumstances in your life, those struggles in your circumstances. And here's the deal. You're not chained to that circumstance. That circumstance is chained to you so you can proclaim the gospel in the midst of that circumstance. So that relationship that seems to be falling apart and you don't know what to do, listen, you're not chained to that. It's chained to you because the grace of God wants to work in it. That addiction that you say, I'm chained to that addiction, no, listen, that addiction is chained to you so that the gospel can go forth in your overcoming the addiction because the grace of God is, a, is working in your life. That marriage that seems to be falling apart, listen to me, God allow look, everything that happens in your life. God either allows or causes. And I don't know whether God allows it or He causes it, but what I know is God works in it. And Paul says, I want you to know what everything's happened to me. Actually serve to advance the gospel. So let me ask you a question today. What has God allowed to be chained to you? So then instead of going, poor me, I'm the victim, you go, oh no, all of hell better watch out because I've got a new platform to share the gospel. Understand this. Look what he says in verse 29. For it's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake. Hey, it's not by accident. God's not going, oops, I forgot that one, or I didn't see that circumstance. No, listen, it has been granted to you. It has been entrusted to you that you may suffer for his sake, for his name's sake. That circumstance that you're walking through, it is not by accident. It is by own purpose that it might be an avenue for the gospel to advance in your life. And listen to me. This is what I want you to see from Paul. The gospel's advancement in my life is often the greatest in times of struggle. 
in my commitment. Paul says, I'm struggling, but I'm committed. Paul says, my circumstances aren't ideal, but God's using it. Paul says, I'm in prison, I'm isolated, I'm lonely, I'm scared, I'm cold. But God is using the darkness of the dungeon to bring forth the light of the gospel in the hearts of the imperial guard, and God is using it to embolden others to share the gospel in the midst of their circumstances. And my friends, I want you to understand, as you make commitments to the Lord during this time to say, I'm all in, you're all in, is a good day and a bad day. It should not change that God is working together to bring all these things to, to, to fruition in your life as a platform for you to advance the gospel. And Paul, I love what Paul says. All that's happened to me, every pain, every sorrow, every long night, every dark night, every lonely night, God is using it to advance the gospel. Don't look at your affliction as God punishing you. Look at your affliction that God has entrusted you. Paul is so in tune with the Spirit. First thing we see is that the gospel's advancement is often the greatest struggle in the struggles of my commitment. The second thing we see is the gospel's advancement is most productive when commitment has the right motivation. Let's continue on. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, Paul says, in that I rejoice. Paul lays out for us that, look, the, the gospel's going forth even in the midst of my circumstances, in the midst of my despair. God is using it because I'm all in with him. I've made that commitment to him, and God is going to use it in any way, any form, any fashion in my life. And then Paul leads us to kind of say, but there are those who have the wrong motives for the gospel's advancement. So my friends, I would just ask you as a follower of Christ, as a brother and sister in Christ, what is the motivation for the commitment you made last week? What is the motivation for the commitment you need to make during this time and this season in your life and in the life of this church? Paul says, I want you to know that there are some that are doing it out of pure motivation and there are some that are just deceitful and not doing it with proper motives and the integrity of their heart. What I love about Paul, he says, Regardless, as long as the gospel's going forth, it's all good. <laughs> but I ask you today, what are your motives for saying, God, I'm all in? Are your motives selfish? Or are your motives simply to say, I want to see a movement of God that we can't explain? You see, Paul says, listen, the gospel's advancement in my life oftentimes is at its greatest when I'm in the struggle. Paul says the gospel's advancement is most pr productive when the commitment is in the right motivation, but even in wrong motivation, God uses that to advance the gospel. But thirdly, Paul says the gospel's advancement is most effective when my focus is solely on Jesus. Look at verse 19. He says, For I know 
that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but will be with full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether life or by death. If you question Paul's motives, listen to what Paul says in the next verse. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm going to live in the flesh, that means a fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul teaches us not only is the gospel's advancement greatest in the struggle of my commitment, but the gospel's advancement is most productive and when my commitment has the right motivation. But thirdly, the gospel's advancement is most effective when my focus is on Jesus. Listen to what Paul says. He is in prison. He is, he is uh, lonely. It is dark. It is cold. All of these things you can fill in the blank in Paul's circumstance. And yet Paul says the gospel is advancing in an incredible way. And then Paul goes on to say, listen to what he says, for I know that I am in prison. I am in chains. I have a, a difficult circumstance. But listen to what he says, but for I know that through the Spirit of Jesus and your prayers, I will be delivered. I don't want you to miss that the, when we make commitments, when we say we're all in, I don't want you to miss that God uses our capabilities, but we must be fully dependent on these two massive things, the Spirit of God and the prayers of the church. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit for us who dwells within us, and the church, the prayers of the church. Now listen to me, I know that in a Baptist church when a guy stands up and talks about the Holy Spirit, we get all like nervous. But I want you to understand something. The Holy Spirit is as much God as God the Father and God the Son, or Jesus the Son. And in fact, he's not like the third will of the Trinity, you know, he's not like the odd man out on a date. No, listen to me. In fact, he's the, he is the agent of God on earth today. God, God the Father is, is on his throne. Jesus is sitting at the right hand, but the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Hey, listen, if we're going to see a movement of God, if we're going to see a, a, an all-in commitment begin to produce the advancement of the gospel, it's going to take an outpouring of the Spirit and the prayers of the church. And I'm just going to tell you, as, 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 as Baptists, we've got to quit referring to the Holy Spirit as an it. Folks, this is God dwelling within us. I was a few months ago um, with uh, a guy by the name of Pastor Jim Cimbala, and he pastors the great Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn, New York, wrote a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. I've read that book more than any other book. In my Christian journey, I've read it 12 times. I usually read it once a year. Pastor Cimbala went to this church in the inner city, ridden with crime and drugs. God gave him a heart for that place. 
He was so discouraged, he went out on a boat in Florida and said, God, I'm ready to quit. I'm sick. I can't do this. There was only about 20 people in the church. And God told him, if you'll lead my people to pray, I'll pour out my spirit. He went back to Brooklyn with his 20 people, and they begin to pray, and they begin to ask God. And he's known now for, for, for their Tuesday night prayer ministry in which the, the church comes together. And here's, here's the deal. The prayer ministry starts, the prayer service starts at 7. They start having a line at 5.30 for a prayer service. When's the last time that happened in our church? Is just asking, right? Only time we get to church early is we want the, the back few rows, right? My wife, she, don't, she, 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 she hates visiting churches with me. We walk in, she says, I, where do you want to sit? You know, honey, where I want to sit. Wow. Why do we always have to sit on the front three rows? I say, because if the Holy Spirit only decides to go three rows deep, I want to be a part of it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Anyhow, I, 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 said, I said, Pastor Jim, he and I were in a car together. I said, Pastor Jim, you are known for your, 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 your preaching on prayer and the Holy Spirit and what God can do together when the church prays. And the Holy Spirit comes upon. Hey, listen, what do you do? I, I said, I, Pastor Jim, I'm a young guy. I want all of the Holy Spirit that God will give me. And I said, well, you know, you, you got a lifetime of experiences. Tell me, is there something I can do? And I'll never forget what he said. I was thinking, here's a man known all around the world for how God is using prayer in his church and how the Holy Spirit moves in incredible ways, unfathomable ways, un, unexplainable ways. And, I was waiting for some, like, really strong theological nugget. And he said, well, Nathan, have you asked the Father? He's the giver of all good gifts. That was it. I'm like, that's it? I had this brief moment with a guy who God has used in prayer in such an incredible way. That's all you got for me? But that's all there is. The Holy Spirit moving and the prayers of the church. That's what it is. This is what Paul says. My deliverance isn't going to come by anything but the prayers of the church and the spirit of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand something, my friends. The gospel's advancement in, is most effective when my focus is on Jesus. The Holy Spirit is moving in me. I am praying, and God is putting these pieces together. Isn't it interesting, by the way, that Jesus never said, my house will be a house of preaching. Isn't it interesting? He said, he never said, my house will be a house of a worship service. He never said, my house will be a house of missions. All of those things play together. But what did Jesus say? My house will be a house of what? Prayer. The gospel's advancement, the Holy Spirit working in you, in your life, in your commitment, being all in, will happen when the people of God begin to ask the Father. Oh, I could go on for this but I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> the gospel's advance is most effective when my focus is on Jesus. Paul says, listen, I want you to understand, for to me to live is Christ and die is gain, that everything I am is about the gospel, everything I am about Jesus, and I am empowered by the Holy Spirit. I am uplifted in my moments of trouble by the church's prayers and, and, and with all of these things working and God taking my struggles and God taking the brokenness of my life to advance the gospel and my commitment that I made to Him to follow Him, that God is using this commitment in the midst of my struggles through the church's prayers, through the power 
empowerment of the Holy Spirit, then he says, listen, all of these things, put it to where all I can say is, if I'm going to breathe, I'm going to breathe Jesus Christ. If I'm going to have life, it's going to be all in for Christ. If I'm going to have a life, I'm going to be fully committed to what Jesus wants, and then when I die, I have nothing but to gain the presence of God. Fourth thing I want you to see is the gospel's advancement is accelerated. We're on mission together. Listen to what he says. Only let your manner of life, verse 27, be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. See, Paul says, listen, my life is broken, my life is tattered. I am beaten, I've been, dis- I've been rejected, I'm in prison, but yet even in my brokenness, because I am fully committed, God is using my brokenness as a platform to advance the gospel. Paul says, there are those out there that have ill motives, but as long as the gospel is being preached, the motivation of the gospel going forth, that's what Paul says is his life. Paul says, when I'm focused on Jesus, when, when I know I've got brothers praying and sisters praying and, and the Holy Spirit is moving in my life, my focus is on Jesus, the gospel begins to advance and it helps me to say everything in my life is about being fully committed all in to Jesus Christ and his purpose. And then Paul lands the plane by simply saying, there is no power like the power of unity. Paul simply says, number one, let your life be worthy of the gospel. And then let us walk side by side in the mission that God has put us on. My dear friends, are you all in? Because here's what all in means. Yes, it means specifically what you checked last week, what you laid down at this altar last week. It means those things, but it means overall that everything in my life is going to be positioned to advance the gospel. Everything in my life is going to say, Jesus, in the good days, in the bad days, in the struggles and on the mountaintops, when I'm singing at the top of my lungs or when I can't barely breathe, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the commitment. It's about being all in. And then what happens is God begins to piece you and you together on mission. And you and you and all across this room, God begins to bring you side by side, hand in hand and heart in heart. And all together, you're a praying church and the Spirit of God just begins to bring people here and their lives are radically changed by the gospel. And it's not something you can go, look, look what our pastor did. No, you don't even have one. Look what Jesus did. Look what the Spirit's doing. And look what the people are allowing God to do in their life. That, my friends, that, my friends, listen, that's when God's power and glory is on display in your city, is when the unexplainable, what is the unexplainable? We can't pre-manufacture what God's doing. We can't program and sell it in a box. All we can do is hang on for dear life and say, God, thank you for letting me be a part of whatever it is you're doing in this place. That, my friends, is what it really means 
to be all in. And I want to ask you, are you all in? Because if you're all in, God can take the unfathomable and turn it into the unexplainable. Let me illustrate this and we'll be done today. Between my first and second son, my wife had two miscarriages and then we found out we were pregnant again and we were so excited to go find out what the baby was. Now I know some of you, I know what you're thinking, I pastored two churches. Well that's not fair that you got to go find out what the gender of your baby was. When I was having babies, we didn't do that. You also didn't come to church on a donkey this morning, aren't you glad for technology, amen? <laughs> Not to mention, I didn't want to take a bunch of green stuff back to Target. <laughs> that day came and we went to the doctor's office, we were so excited, every time that door opened we, our hearts would beat. Finally we get back to the back and they begin the ultrasound on my wife and the young lady, the ultrasound tech, she said, excuse me just a moment. When she walked out, I looked at my wife and tears already began rolling down my wife's eyes and I said, I don't know what's going on, honey, but we're going to trust God. The doctor came back in and continued the ultrasound and looked at us and said those words that no one ever wants to hear. He said, I'm so sorry. Somewhere in the last few days, your baby's heart has stopped beating. And he looked at my wife and he said, tomorrow morning, you're going to have to come into the hospital and deliver a stillborn little boy. Next morning, my wife, I wheeled her into the hospital to have a baby that I knew coming out she'd never carry in her arms. It's a tough day. My wife bravely and courageously delivered that precious little boy that we named Connor. I was, my job after he was born was to go out into the waiting room to tell the parents and the family that had gathered to console us that she had bravely delivered him. And I was to walk out and go straight where the, where the uh, waiting room was. And I looked to the right and there was a hallway that ended and I just walked down to the hallway. We were probably 25 at this time. And I dropped on my knees and I held my hands up in the air in the middle of that hospital and I said, God, what are you doing? I said, God, I surrendered everything to be a pastor. God, I, I put my dreams aside. Why are you doing this to us? It was in that moment, I don't say this very often, but it was in that moment that I believe God spoke directly to my heart. I said, man, was it audible? No, of course not. It's much louder than that. Here's what I believe God, through the Holy Spirit, consoled my heart with. And here's what he said, Nathan. I'm not doing this to you. I'm doing this through you for someone else down the road. I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't like that answer. I'm like, seriously, God, you are the creator of vocabulary and that's all you've got? I got up and I went and told my family. I was pastoring a little church out in the middle of nowhere in East Texas. And when I say out in the middle of nowhere, I kid you not, the day I went in view of a call, I went around and S I went out to the church, I, I drove around, went out S curve, and around the S curve there was a kid walking a goat on a leash while his dog ran loose, and I thought, Lord, what have you, what, what, where are you bringing me to? <laughs> you don't just happen to find this place. There was a funeral home about 20 miles away who, when an infant passes away, they, they, they take care of the funeral, and they called me and they said, hey, listen, we... We want to give you a burial plot if you want it for your son, but we want you to know it's about 30 minutes away. 
But it's yours if you want it. And we didn't have anything. We said, thank you so much. Yes, we'll take it. So we buried our son. A few months later, I got a knock on the door on a Sunday morning. My youth minister said this. He said, Nathan, there's a young couple here who needs to meet with you. They, they have, they're demanding to meet with you. And I'm just thinking, well, man, Sunday morning's only, I mean, Sunday afternoon is only good for football and naps, amen? <laughs> he said, Nathan, you need to come. So I went over to the church, and I sat down with this couple, and I said, what's going on? And they looked at me, and the young lady began crying, and she said, we just moved here. You don't just move there. <laughs> We just moved here and we were driving by this place. And we don't know. We looked at each other and said, for some reason, we've got to stop and talk to somebody there, the guy that leads that place. And I said, well, tell me what's going on in your life. What, 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 why do you feel like you needed to stop and talk to me on this Sunday afternoon? And she said, two weeks ago, we had a stillborn little girl. I, time out. I went and got my wife. I brought her back over. We listen to their story, their grief, and their sorrow, and all the while, while I'm listening in one ear, I'm remembering that God whispered to my heart, I'm not doing it to you, I'm doing it through you for someone down the road. Right there that, that afternoon, that Sunday afternoon in the middle of nowhere America, <laughs> that young man and that young lady bowed their knee to the Lord Jesus, and in the midst of their crisis, they gave their life to Jesus. Now, that'd be a pretty awesome story if it ended there. As we begin talking, we begin to realize that our little baby boy and their little baby girl were buried in the same cemetery some 30 minutes away. Be a pretty cool story if it ended there. As we continue to talk, we begin to realize and piece together that in a cemetery some 30 miles away, that our little baby boy and their little baby girl were buried in plots right next to each other. So Nathan, why are you telling us that? Because I couldn't dream that up if I wanted to. <laughs> There is a God that is orchestrating things in your life for those you don't even know yet, so the gospel advances, and in the midst of our son's death, little did we know a few months later that in the midst of our circumstance, because we were simply saying, God, we don't know what you're doing, but we've committed, we, we don't know why you're doing this, but we've committed, God took the pain of our lives, some of the worst pain of our lives, and a few months later, our son's death led to this couple's eternal life, and then God began to show off. And God began to say, I'm going to show you that in the middle of nowhere America, that I'm going to bring these people together. And on a Sunday afternoon, I'm going to direct them to talk to you, to, to someone they've never met. And by the way, because I'm allowing or causing things always in your life for the advancement of the gospel, I'm going to place your son and their daughter right next to each other because I've got a plan that you can't make up, you can't pre-manufacture, you can't dream up because I am God and you are not. My ways are higher than your ways, and, and you can't fathom the plans I have for you. And, and all I want is your yes. All I want is your commitment. All I want is your all in.
and let me worry about how I'm going to make that work for my glory and my honor. My dear friends, God is working in your life. God is working in your church, and how he is choosing to do it is none of your business. What your business is, is to position your heart on your knees saying, oh God, I desperately need you to move, and I'm willing to be all in no matter what the cost is. Let's pray together this morning. This morning, every head bowed and every eye closed. Here's what I want to do this morning. I'm telling you, I so sense the Spirit of God wants to work in some lives this morning. So here's what I'm going to do. It's going to be a little different. And then I'm going to move out of the way and just let God move. I'm going to ask if you're a life group leader. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. If you're a life group leader, I want you to come down to the front. If you're a life group leader, just excuse yourself out of your seat. And I want you to come down front or, or any available staff as well. Here's what I'm going to say to you this morning. God wants to use you in the brokenness of your life. God is piecing it together for his glory and his honor. And in just a few moments after I pray, if you're saying this morning, Nathan, I I want to be all in, but I've got things, I'm struggling. I've got relationships that are falling. My my health is failing. My my finances are failing. Nathan, I just just need somebody to pray for me because I want to be all in. I want God to use me. I just wanted to make these people available up here down front for you just to get out of your seat and just come pray with somebody. The power of prayer. And if we can't come together and pray in the church for God to move, Pray tell me where we can do it. So there are brothers and sisters of Christ down front. In just a few moments, when I finish praying, we're going to begin singing. I just want you to stand up, and you just come take one of these brothers or sisters by the hand and say, it's time. I've got this struggle. I've got this this, this thing. Or things are going great, but I want God to use me. I I want God to use me in an incredible way. These people are all down front where the church comes together and prays and the Holy Spirit begins to move. Watch out, connection point. Father, I pray in this moment. Father, first of all, if there's anyone here in this place who does not know Christ, that today they would realize that he is pursuing them. And that in in a moment when we stand and pray, they would just come take one by the hand and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want his grace. I want to be forgiven. Father, for people all over this room, who say, I want, to be, I want to be all in, and I want God to use me. I want God to take the unfathomable and turn it into the unexplainable. And I want to pray with a brother or sister in Christ. And we just want to pray and ask God to begin to do that all over this room. When we, I, Father, I pray that when we stand that you would give them the courage and the boldness to say, I'm all in in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Would you just begin moving? Just come take a brother and a sister by a hand and just show the power of a church praying together. Let's stand as we begin singing. You just make your way. Maybe you're struggling today. These brothers and sisters are here simply to pray for you. Whatever God's doing and saying in your life, you come as we sing this morning.